Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 1 through to verse 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, nor immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's um, at least three films in our home that have been essential viewing over the years. Sound of Music got to be in there. Um, Mary Poppins, that's in there as well. Uh, and the film Annie. Annie is a great film. There's two pictures up on the screen now. There's the original <clears throat> and the best. Uh, and then there was a remake in the latter years. But uh, the film Annie is set in the time of the Great Depression, 1940s America. Life is hard. And Annie, the orphan, uh, gets used to a hard knock life. One of the best songs from the film. I'm sure you can remember it. She's uh, scrubbing the floor with uh, all the other girls in the orphanage. She's uh, cleaning the windows and they're singing along because her future is insecure and it's unstable and it is hard. But then her world changes when Danny Warbucks comes on the scene and uh, her status changes, her identity changes and she receives fresh hope and a fresh future on the outside because she has become part of a new family. 
But it's not always easy as it seems. The, uh, the old Annie's life and identity is still there as she moves from the orphanage to one of the biggest homes in all of America. Daddy uh, Warbucks is a billionaire, you see, and so there's a helicopter that uh, is on the front lawn. There's great cars, there's servants galore. You want to play tennis, we'll get a professional in. You want to learn to play the piano, we'll get someone in to help you with that as well. But there's Annie, unsecure in her status. And so she uh, is asked the question, what do you want to play? What should we do today? Scrub the floors? You can do anything you want. But she's unsecure of her love and her status in her new family. And so she's going back to her old life. But she's got a new identity. Annie and the Christian life are pretty close. We've been adopted and chosen in Christ, says Paul in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. We've got a new identity. We've got a new hope and a new future. But often we live like we used to. And so Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 from last week, verses 22 23 and 24, Paul lays down with a beauty and a genius to it, in a few sentences, the reality of a new status. We are to put off our old self, we looked at this last week, to put on our new self in Christ, and that happens to the degree that our minds are transformed by God every single day. Paul wants us to be who we are, to be transformed in our minds is part of it, it's part of a new identity that we've received from God in Christ. So our minds are transformed, and our hearts are renewed, and then you change your behaviour from the inside out. That's always the order. Inside transformation, outward behaviours change. Unless you follow a different religion, if you don't know God personally, if you have got a new heart, then you'll be tempted to do it the other way, and to say, I'm going to behave in a certain way. I'm going to behave and put on a good life so that God will love me. That's not the way of Christian transformation. You're renewed in your minds. And to the degree that you understand your new identity, to that degree you will live a new life in Christ. You'll live out your new identity. You'll be aware of your new family in which you live. Not Daddy Warbucks, but someone even greater, someone who richer. God himself has made you and chosen you and adopted you into his family. But having described the new identity that we have in Christ again, he did it in chapter 1, he's done it in chapter 2 and 3, Paul has done it again in chapter 4, now from verses 25 of chapter 4, all the way through chapter 5, verse 14, Paul describes new behaviour. Look down with me. He says, if you are a Christian, if you've got a new heart, if you're part of this new forever family, if you're a child of God, and God is your father, then... Speak truthfully. Don't, uh, don't sin in your anger. Don't steal, but work hard. Take the money that you've got and give to the poor. Be careful in your speech. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling, fighting. Forgive one another. And all of these verses continue from chapter 4 into chapter 5. But at the start of chapter 5, Paul takes a little break. And he zooms out from uh, the uh, ground zero of everyday life and gives us some fresh perspective of our status once again. Chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Walk in love, verse 2, because Christ made himself a complete sacrifice, you could say, to you. 
walk in this way because chapter 4 verse 30, looking back up a few sentences, you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So you're part of this forever family, there's God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart. So there's no place in your life, in your transformed existence for unwholesome talk, for coarse joking, for stealing, for slander and so on. Never forget that you have this wonderful new guest dwelling in your very person. God himself, God the Holy Spirit. He's too pure for you to look upon evil. He's too good for you to be harsh and unkind. Never forget, verse 1, that you are a dearly loved child. And so what's the response? Chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children. You're a new person in Christ, and so you have a responsibility to live in a different way as imitators of God. It's Father's Day. I didn't choose this passage to land on Father's Day. But whether you've had a good dad or a dad that has caused you a lot of heartache, every human father that we have experienced and enjoyed and rubbed shoulders with and perhaps not enjoyed is a picture of the penultimate father, God himself. And so it's a lovely kindness that we're on this passage this morning. I just want to focus on chapter 5, verse 1, 2 and 3 because that's the heart of uh, this section. If you have a transformed heart, if you know your Father in heaven, if you become a child of God, then from that wellspring, you will behave in a completely different way to imitate him. Number one, be imitators of God. That word imitator means mimic. Here are some pictures of people mimicking. Dads looking into their son's eyes. Hopefully there's no blood in the picture on the left of them. someone shaving, being taught how to shave. Looks very young, that child, probably a teenager. But imitate means to mimic, it means to copy, it means to be a chip off the old block. Now, I'm sure that you've all mimicked someone at some time. Perhaps it's a, the Scottish centre-forward who did such a good job against the lowly England the other night. And perhaps you go in the back garden and pretend that you're Harry Kane, but you score goals, or a Scottish footballer, and you do a great job, and they were a far better team. Perhaps you're someone who loves to sing in front of the mirror, so you get the, uh, the hairbrush out and you sing and you pretend, whether it's in the shower or in front of a mirror. We all copy someone. We all mimic. We all have our own duck mothers. You ever seen ducks waddling after their mum? We copy someone. Paul says, if you're a Christian, you're to mimic, you're to be an imitator of God. It did say that last week. We didn't really draw attention to it. But in chapter 4, verses 23 and following, just look down with me. It says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self. But then it says, you're created to be like God, created in the image of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Everyone, man, woman, boy, girl, Christian and non-Christian are made in the image of God, which means they have an inherent dignity. It means that their purpose for life is clear. I was doing my creation mandate yesterday and weeded in the garden for about seven hours. That's a lot of weeds because I've neglected it. But this passage is saying, as a Christian especially, you are made to image, to mirror, to mimic the character and attitude of God. You don't do good things just because it's a good thing to do if you're a Christian. You don't uh, 
not steal just because you shouldn't steal. You don't steal because you are to imitate the character of God who's a God of faithfulness and honesty and authenticity and truthfulness and justice and hard work and creativity and so on. But a mirror, as we image God, a mirror always reflects what it's looking at or what's looking into it, you could say. All of us follow someone or something. All of us reflect and worship something or someone. We're modelling ourselves in other things. We're facing other things, whether it be career or work or family, whether it be identity or security, whether it be a future security or undoing past regrets. We all reflect and worship and image something. And the Bible says that when you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, his first work of making you a new person, the Bible calls it regeneration is that he turns your feet and your heart and your eyes around and your affections around away from what you were looking at and mimicking and worshipping to the one true and living God. He turns your heart and your affections away, literally turning around so that you become a new person with a new hope and a new future. That's the beginning of a Christian walk, of following Jesus. That word walk that we've seen in uh, the book of Ephesians again and again, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse uh, 2, chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 2, and so on. It's the overwhelming theme of the second half of the book of Ephesians, to, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus so that there's no gap between your Christian identity and your Christian behaviour. Because a mirror always reflects what it's facing. But here's what's interesting. A mirror... A mirror is not created from nothing. It's not built or constructed. A mirror is actually uh, polished. It's, uh, it's made from resources, but it's polished into perfection. I should have said it's, it's not painted or uh, manufactured. It's polished into perfection. It's, uh, all rough edges are removed, and so you get a clearer and clearer image as you look into it. In the Christian life, when the Holy Spirit is in a Christian's heart and they've become a Christian, they've been regenerated, they've been made new, they've been born again, you're justified in Christ. Your sins are wiped away. It's as if you've never sinned and Christ's righteousness is upon you. You're clothed in it. That's the new self that we put upon. But sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is that process of polishing the mirror, rough edges being knocked off and removed. It's the process that humbles us, that grinds down bad habits in our lives, in our lives, that's, uh, so that we're more clearly reflecting the image of Jesus. We're chosen, we've been adopted, we have our minds being renewed day by day as God works in our lives. And as that happens, as we're being transformed, chapter 5 verse 1 says, to the degree you know your status and the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, to the degree that you're not fighting against him or grieving him with a practice of behaviour or thought or action, you will be being transformed into the likeness of Jesus more and more every day. Imitate the God who has ransomed you, restored you, and has sealed you. And so that means, verse 3, that affects your sexual ethics. Verse 4, it affects your speech. 
If you want to imitate and mimic and be truthful to your calling as a Christian, it must be seen. You cannot be the same person before you knew Jesus than you are when you know Jesus personally and intimately. You can't just know about him. Even that the devil is a worshipper in the sense that he understands God, but he doesn't know him personally, the book of James says. You've been adopted into a new family. You're no longer an orphan. You're a child. That's the second half of that sentence. Be an imitator of God as a dearly loved child. I want us to think about that. As a dearly loved child. Uh, Here's a picture of J.I. Packer. In his book, Knowing God, he says, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. In other words, adoption... It's the main thing. Adoption is the main thing of the Christian life. Paul says that in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. He's talking about we've been chosen in him, we've been adopted in him, we've been redeemed in him, we have a future in him for the praise of his glory. Remember that uh, meter or that drumbeat from chapter 1? But when we looked at chapter 1, we said adoption in the Roman world is very different than it is today. Children were not uh, adopted Women were overlooked when it came to adoption. Adoption was for male adults because uh, someone who was wealthy would look for someone to give uh, their inheritance to. They wanted an heir. And so they'd overlook children and overlook women uh, wrongly. But when the uh, owner of all the goodies dies, then this person who was adopted would have their name, would have their wealth, their resources, their inheritance. Everything that was the person who's deceased would now become the person who had been adopted into the family. It was a legal position. It was a legal status. And we need to understand that when we understand the words and the benefits of adoption. It's interesting in the Bible that uh, there's lots of different metaphors for becoming a Christian. I'm a sheep and God's a shepherd. I'm a vine and he's the vine dresser. I'm in the army and he's the captain. But the predominant image for becoming a Christian is that he's a father. God is the father and therefore we're his children. And we need to think about that because it's the most fundamental image of what it means to be a Christian. God is our father. In Christ we are new people and in Christ we are new children. I think there are four privileges that come with our understanding of adoption. Imitate God as dearly loved children. Is the first one, it's acceptance. One of the things about uh, parental love is it's very, very dogged. It's determined, it's committed, it's hard work. Just ask Matt and Aileen about that. What does it mean to be a son or daughter of God? It means that you're accepted. It means that you can never experience the finger of Alan Sugar or Donald Trump. You can never be fired from a family. You can never be kicked out, or you should never be kicked out. The first privilege of being a child of God is that you're accepted in Christ. And one of the tests, if you understand this, is on your emotionality, were that to be a proper word. If you're a Christian and you're unsure about your status, sometimes you live as if you're an orphan, when in fact you're a child of God. What do I mean? Do you ever think like this? Do you ever feel like you're not enjoying or understanding your freedom that you have in Christ as a child of God? Do you ever feel uh, emotionally anxious 
so that when you have a bad day or bad week, when you uh, do something you know is against God and you know is against Christian character and Christian priorities, if you think, I've done it again, I've done it again, that means God has no right to love me, that means God's going to kick me out of the family, that means God doesn't love me anymore. He loves me, he loves me not. I bet God wants to disown me. Do you think like that? If you think like that, that means you're living as an orphan, not as a child. Maybe you think, I had a great week. I've obeyed God, I've read my Bible, I've given to the poor, I've served God in the church. That means God will love me more. He loves me, he loves me not. Both of those postures are incorrect understanding what it means to be adopted into God's forever family. If you're a child of God, you can displease your father with what you do when you sin. He will never kick you out of the family. He's set his love on you, he's chosen you. You have an inheritance that cannot spoil, perish or fade. You're chosen in Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you've been seated with Christ, says the book of Ephesians, which means you're safe and secure. God has set his love on you, he approves of you, and he'll never kick you out of the family. It's not based on how you feel, it's a new status in him. An employee can be fired, fired rather, but a child can't. That's the difference between employment and acceptance. Here's the second one, access. An employee's access is restricted, or it should be. You can have a great relationship with your boss, but if you say to them at 3 a.m., hey, can you get me a glass of water? They might say to you, you're fired, and that ruins the first point. But I had a great experience on Friday morning. I was doing some admin, and the door opened, and in came a three-and-a-half-year-old. And uh, without asking permission, with me at the computer, I noticed that she was coming in. Um, she literally cocked her right leg over as if to say, I'm sitting on your lap whether you want it or not. Now, she has every right to do that because she's a child of mine. But child, a child of God has uh, acceptance, but they also have access. Do you enjoy the access that you have with God as your father as you seek to imitate him? To the degree that you're constantly enjoying and aware the access that you have, you will live as a dear child of God who wants to imitate the Heavenly Father. It's uh, access and it's acceptance. It's also a protection. One of the things that every parent has to work through in every age is their attitude to uh, parenting. You might be a tiger parent. You might be a helicopter parent. I like this one. It means that uh, you're always there overseeing. You never want to let them out of your sight. Perhaps you're a helicopter parent. I don't know. Perhaps you wish you were uh, and your kids are now flown the nest. It's very hard for parents to let go because they love their children dearly. And they don't want anything bad to happen to them. But part of growing up is that you train a child in the way they should go and then they uh, get kicked out of the nest and they learn to fly, we hope. God is exactly the same. Romans 8, 28, it's the, the words of a loving father. All things work for the good of those who love him. But then there's a Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12 says, as an earthly father disciplines his children, so too a heavenly father disciplines. In other words, the discipline of God is part of the character of God and the nurturing of the children of God. God is in complete control. He's also completely good and kind. Sometimes it's hard to trust a heavenly father when you cannot see why things, hard things happening in your life. 
spoke to someone this week and they said, oh, it's been really hard the last few years. It feels like I've been on the chiropractor's bench with God as the chiropractor. It's as if he's got his elbow in my lower back. and He's working on something. I know it's for my good, but it's really hard. I know it's the right place to be, but it feels like I'm sorrowful, but always rejoicing, said the person. Do you have that attitude to the circumstances in your life at the moment? Do you trust God as a Heavenly <coughs> Father who cares? As a Christian, do you know the acceptance and the approval that you have? But do you know also the uh, protection that He as a Heavenly Father wants to give you? He's polishing the mirror. He's knocking off the rough edges with the sandpaper of life that are completely under His good, loving control. If you think the world is out of control, if you don't know him as your loving father, or you're not living in that way because you've forgotten that lovely reality, no wonder you're scared. No wonder you're anxious. You're living as an orphan. Can I remind you? God has chosen you to live as a child and to be the imitator of his character. Those are three. Here's the fourth one. It's inheritance. If you've been adopted, there will be an inheritance. A child is an heir. You've inherited all the privileges that there are in Christ. What are they? Let's run through them again. Acceptance. You don't live a life of condemnation and guilt anymore. You've been forgiven of your sins. They've been put away from you as far as the east is from the west. You have access to God. You do not live alone. You can go to him at any time, in any place, in any condition, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. You have access to the Father through his Son. He's a father who wants to protect you, so do not be afraid. You know that he's working all things for your good, even if you can't figure that out right now. And that means you have an inheritance as well. You're not crushed under obligation. I need to work hard so that God will love me. I might lose his affection and favour. That's not what the Bible says. You're rich because God has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that should give you a poise and a confidence because you stand in the strength of Christ, Ephesians chapter 6, not in your own. So Paul is saying, this is how a Christian lives, chapter 4, verse 25, all the way through to chapter 5, verse 14. It affects your speech, your character, your conduct, your thoughts, your attitudes to other people, your motivations. It affects everything. It's Christian lifestyle. But you can only live like that if you have a transformed mind, if you put off your own self, you put on Christ, and as if you seek in God's strength to imitate him. You're a dearly loved child. Is your thinking governed by that this morning, Christian friend? God loves you. You have access and he'll never kick you out. If that is something of your heart's identity, that means you'll live out the Christian lifestyle that Paul's described in those sentences, 425 through to 5, verse 14. No human father will love you in this way. They should be a good, helpful pointer to our Heavenly Father, but sometimes they're not. If you don't know Christ this morning, can I tell you another story to close of a loving father from Luke chapter 15? There was once a father who had two sons, and one of the sons said, Dad, I don't want you to live in my life, and I want to treat you as dead. I want my inheritance now, even though you're still alive. And the Bible says that he went away, the youngest son, and he spent a wild living, and he wanted his dad dead. He comes to his senses, and he wants to return home. 
Although I've lived as an orphan, I was a son, but I've lived as an orphan, as if my father did not live. I'm going to go back, I'm going to throw myself at his feet, and hopefully he will treat me like an orphan again at least, but he will never treat me as a son again. So he journeys all the way back, from literally from a pigsty, and his father sees him in the distance, and he runs to him, casting his eyes dignity. And he's thrilled to see him, because he thought he was dead, but now he's alive, and he throws his arm around him, and that's not all. He throws a robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger. He's restored from an orphan to a child. And says, I'm so thrilled to see you. I want to throw a party. I thought you were dead, but you're alive again. It's a wonderful picture of our Heavenly Father. Because the other brother is a picture of, well, our true brother is Jesus. The, uh, the older brother who's hard-hearted and said, that's not fair. Um, I want to, I've stayed at home and you should give me more than him because he's broken your heart and look at what I've done. That reveals my heart, but that's another sermon for another time. If you don't know God as your heavenly father, you can say this this morning. Say what the younger, father, the younger son said. Father, I've sinned against you. He's speaking now to your heavenly father. Father, I've sinned against you. I've not treated you as you deserve. I've treated you as if you didn't exist living by my own standards and my own rules. But because of our true older brother, who's Jesus, who died for us, wiping away our sins, standing in our stead, God will do just what the Father did in that story. He will clothe us, not with a robe, but with a robe of his righteousness. He'll put a ring on our finger and give us a new status. And our Heavenly Father, the God of the universe, it says earlier in chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel, he's the God who loves to throw parties. He loves to celebrate because we were made to image him and we were made to have a home in his forever family live as a dearly loved child christian friend and if you think of yourself in that way you will be able to imitate him and you will be able to live this life that's an overflow of a new heart a new status as you're a part of a new family